Church of Christ presents Reckless Faith, the sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, August 18th, 2019. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. I love this image of the life of faith, a race that is set before us. I wonder if any of you have ever participated in a cross-country team or a track team, either as runner or parent or cheerer on. Yay. I wonder if any of you have participated in, if any of you have ever been to a cross-country meet as a fan to cheer other runners on. I ran cross-country in high school and in college, but I had never attended a meet as a cheerer on until about 10 years ago. I went to the state meet for high school runners to cheer on several of my youth group kiddos. The starting line was a long arc of white across an open grassy field, and it was packed three or four runners deep. And on each side of the starting line was a crowd five times as large as the pack of runners. The starter's guns sounded and off they ran the crowd yelling names of individuals and teams, their voices carrying all the way until the last runner had disappeared into the woods. And I screamed right along with them. I turned away, expecting people to mosey on over to the finish line to wait and to watch to see the runners come back out of the woods. But no such thing. Spectators were streaming across the hills to the next place where the racers would emerge from the woods and be briefly visible. The coaches raced ahead to take up their places right at the edge of the course so that they would be able to yell split times and encouragement to their runners. Your first mile was spot on, keep your pace, good work. Or you're out too quick, ease back so you can kick up that last hill. You're looking great, you're on fire, way to go. You've got this, go. Go, go. And then, as soon as the last runners had gone by, again, the whole crowd of spectators went streaming to the next place where the runners would be visible. And again, they took up their cheers, the general ones for the whole crew and their individual ones for each runner. And then finally, to the end line, where the most beautiful thing of all happened. All of the runners who finished in the top 10 or 20 checked in with the official, got their number checked, and then they turned and streamed back along the spectators' side of the line to cheer on their teammates. They went back to cheer on the ones who were destined to come in at the back of the pack, the ones who had no chance of scoring a single point for their team, but who might just run a personal best. And they yelled, you're on pace, you're looking great, head up, don't give up, you got this. Go Jason, go Sarah, go Tom, go Annette. And when Jason and Sarah and Tom and Annette finished their own slower runs, racing against their own former best finish, the cheer at the finish line 
from the entire crowd was just as robust as it had been for the very first finisher. Because they finished the race that was set before them. They gave it their all, and the whole crowd knew it and was pulling for them every step. I've experienced this kind of mutual support on the track as a runner myself hundreds of times, but I remember the very first time the best. The summer after junior high, I had gone with my dad to cheer my brother on at a club meet for high school students, not cross country, but track. I was dressed to run so that I could warm up with my brother, but I certainly did not expect to compete that day. I wasn't even a member of the club team or even a high school student yet. But the miler had gotten sick and I got invited to jump in. I had never raced that particular event and I had certainly never run at that level. But being young and easily prevailed upon, I said yes. I'm not sure I even knew that no was an option. I had no idea how to pace myself for a whole mile. I was a half miler and I went out far too fast so that by the fourth lap, I was hurting. I came around the first corner of that last lap, my head down, my lungs burning, and I heard my father's voice, look up. And there he was on the infield where spectators are not allowed, his eyes filled with fierce love and pride. And all he said was, look up, look up. When despair for the world threatens to overtake me, when the cycle of gun violence goes on and on, when evidence build that the, builds that the climate crisis is accelerating and politicians beholden to fossil fuel companies shrug and pretend the science is not clear, when public discourse is filled with both deceit and rage, when I wonder, is this how life is supposed to be? When I listen for the voice of God and in my fear, I hear only my fear. I am reminded that I am not alone because God has given us each other. But also, we are not alone because those faithful ones who went before us, that great cloud of witnesses is cheering us on. I like to imagine them as part of the crowd at a cross-country race, not just the spectators, but the runners who have finished their own race with perseverance, crossed the finish line with joy, and then turned back to urge us on, to encourage us and bind up our spirits when our steps are faltering. We sometimes think of the life of faith as the life of belief, of agreeing to a set of statements, or at least thinking through a set of statements about what the word God means and what it means for Jesus to have revealed God to us. And we think of belief as something one does primarily alone and internally, the life of faith as solitary and interior. And that is certainly a part of it. But the Greek word which we translate as faith also means trust. The Christian life, then, is a life of putting one's trust in the truth that Jesus revealed. Trusting that love is stronger than death, 
that God is with us in and through our joys and our sufferings, that the God who created is creating still. And we are not alone in it. As Eugene Peterson expressed part of the passage I read, God had a better plan for the heroes of the faith and for us, that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith are not complete apart from ours, and our lives of faith are not complete apart from theirs. We belong to each other even across the generations. The author of the letter to the Hebrews cited examples from the Hebrew scripture of lives lived in trust and dedication, stories that the author was sure would inspire his readers. And perhaps they can do the same for us. Perhaps this passage will inspire you to look up the stories of Rahab and Gideon and Barak, to imagine those ancient ancestors facing frightening circumstances, betrayal by those whom they should have been able to trust, famine, war, and illness, situations where they had to walk up to the edge of problems they didn't know how to solve and trust that God would make a way for them. But perhaps for you, these stories are just too remote, the context of the people named too different from our world. Clearly, we too need stories of the great cloud of witnesses to keep our heads up and our eyes on Jesus. One of the things I believe we are called to do as church is to offer ourselves to each other, to share and witness to each other's lives in both joy and suffering, to encourage each other when we are discouraged, to sit with each other in distress, to rejoice with each other in every joy, to create safe space so that everyone is always welcome. Kate Bowler put it this way in a recent interview on NPR. There are times, especially around tragedy, when we can't be self-constituting. You might wake up one morning and you don't have the ability to dig into those places of agency and empowerment inside yourself. Faith communities can be the place that mirrors back to you the person you so desperately want to be and all the things that God loves about you. I know in times when I have been unable to tell the story of who I am because I've been too sick or too scared or maybe just overwhelmed, my hope is that the body of Christ will come around me, not just with casseroles, but with a hand on my head to bless me and to say, you are so deeply loved. Just because you are not useful in the way that the culture values right now doesn't mean that you are not deeply loved. And we will love you into a place where you are yourself again. We are called to share the stories of our faith, not just the stories in our sacred texts, but the stories of our own particular lives and our own particular clouds of witnesses. It's not a word we use easily in the progressive church but we are called to share our testimony of how we have experienced the presence of the divine. 
In the next couple of months, members of the congregation will be sharing from the pulpit, starting next week when Dave Parker will talk about what he experienced in South Africa and in the American South. But for today, for right now, I invite you to reflect on two questions. You have some paper in the bulletin, and I think pens were available. What leg of the race are you running right now? That's the first question. What leg of the race are you running right now? And when you think of the cloud of witnesses whose hearts are filled with love for you, whose face do you see? And what words are they saying to you? When you think of the cloud of witnesses whose hearts are filled with love for you, whose face do you see? What words are they saying to you? May the blessing of the saints surround us as we lift our heads and keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.